Welcome back. With strategies under our belt, it's now time to take a look at the process of reframing. So let's turn to page 67. Reframing is essentially about changing the meaning or the context of a presenting problem that we're dealing with. In selling, reframing is called answering objections. And of course, there are loads and loads of books on the subject in the field of sales. We want to talk about reframing from an NLP perspective. So how do you change the meaning or the content or how do you reframe? Or how do you answer simple objections that people might have either to in sales, uh, purchasing your product in management, um, to actually doing what you're asking them to do in education or to having children learn better? And what about in therapy? How do you actually change all that? Well, the context or the ability of the person to make the changes that they've asked you or told you that they want to make. Now, if we go back and look at page 12, we'll notice in the presuppositions of NLP that you remember the presupposition, the map is not the territory. And what we said when we talked about the map is not the territory, we said that all meaning is dependent upon the context in which it appears. And that is to say that if a certain word has a certain meaning, the meaning of that word depends on the context in which it appears. Now, I'm not sure if you are aware of this or not, but you know how they make a dictionary? In order to make a dictionary, like if you wanted to make a brand new dictionary, what we would do is go out and buy all of the books in print. And with all the books in print under our belt, what we would do is make a three by five card for every word that we found in each of those books. And then having made a three by five card for each single word, we would then determine the meaning of the word by looking at the context in which it appears. So the truth is that all of our language, even today, even the dictionary definition of words we use is based on the context in which it appears. Now, if that's the case, if all meaning is context dependent, then what that means is that meaning dependent on the context or the process or the structure in which it appears, we can look at it from another direction. So it means that all content is reframing by simply changing the context. So if we change the context in which it appears, then we change the process going on around it, then we change the actual structure of what we're talking about, then we can actually reframe virtually anything. Now, if we have a look at our NLP communication model on page seven, you'll notice that the internal representation, which is made up of visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, gustatory, and auditory digital, that if we change a part of the internal representation, then we can actually change a part of the meaning of behavior or the meaning of what the client is asking us. And so we can make a significant change in the presenting problem even before we do an intervention. And we're going to talk about intervention shortly. So how would you do a specific intervention using NLP? We're going to sort of put all this together. However, before we get there, we need to look at a little bit of process. So how do you loosen up the client's model of the world? Or how do you change things so that it makes it easier for the client to make the kind of changes that he or she wants to make? Now, if all meaning is context dependent, that means that everything that we know or say or think is based on the context in which it's uttered or thought, and that the only meaning is that context, which means that nothing means anything. 
So let's look at page 67 again, and you may notice, for example, that the words good or bad have their basis and the meaning at either end of a dichotomy. That would be good or the dichotomy of good to bad. And if you notice that the words themselves, good or bad, have a meaning based on being at each opposite end of a single pole, and you think about reframing, then what we're going to do is literally go in and change the basis of the problem that the client gives us. We're just going to make a shift in the nature of the problem. How do we do that? Well, any specific problem is simply content. Every problem that a client gives to us is to a certain extent based in content. But at the same time as we listen to the presenting problem the client gives us and we go through and specify outcomes with the problem we've discussed in the previous program. If we go through and listen carefully to what the client's saying and we listen to the content of that problem, we're also going to be picking up a sort of sense of what the structure of the problem is and the context in which it occurs. If we shift the context of the problem, then we can change the nature of the problem. Now that's exciting. It's actually really exciting. And if you're in sales, this may be the mother load. Because when you think about it, when you first go into sales, Often people memorize objections or you get given a set of objections and how to reframe them. Now, imagine learning reframing on the basis of just changing the context. In master practitioner training, we go into reframing in real depth. So this is just an introduction to you as a practitioner of NLP and this is an introduction as to how you do a couple of basic reframes. And the effect of that is going to actually be loosening the grip on the client's problem. Now, based on the structure of everything we've covered so far, you might ask yourself, or I might ask if I was in class, um, what are the different kinds of reframes? And of course, the answer is on page 67. So we're going to look at a couple of different kinds of reframes. We're going to look at a context reframe and we're going to look at a meaning reframe. And we'll talk a little bit about each of these and notice what they actually make a change in. Like what do they change and how can we learn how to sort this in our head on the fly? So the notion of reframing comes from hypnosis and Milton Erickson and it also comes from transformational grammar. Now one of the things that Einstein used to do when he was creating his theory of relativity is he used to sit and contemplate the paradox. The nice thing about the paradox is that it gives us the ability to shift logical levels and step outside of what the problem is. Now by shifting logical levels, I mean, remember the hierarchy of ideas? So chunking up one level or going to a higher level of abstraction. Now one of my favorite paradoxes is from the book, How Real is Real. And what Slavic says in this book is interesting. He talks about paradox really the paradox really nicely. So just for fun, if you want to play and do this paradox with me, why don't you take and draw on a piece of paper? It could even be on page 67. Just draw a box. And what I'd like you to do is I would like you to put your initials in the box. If and only if you can predict that when I look at the box next, the box will be empty. Interesting. So I'll say it again. Would you please initial the box inside the box if and only if that when I look at the box, you can predict that the box will be empty. 
Now that's a fun sort of paradox. The next thing about paradox is, paradoxes is that they're only resolvable on a higher logical level, which is really what makes them so fun to contemplate. And reframing to a large extent is about shifting the context or shifting your thinking from the level that you're at to a higher logical level. And it's about changing and moving to a higher logical level. If you change your thinking and you move to a higher logical level, what's going to happen is that you'll be thinking outside the box that the client's thinking in. Now, here's the thing. The client comes to you with a problem. The problem is on a certain logical level or in a certain context, and their problem has a certain set of parameters around it. In essence, we can say that their problems have a box around it. Now, the only way you're going to be able to think outside the box for the client is if you've practiced it. Now, this is true whether it's in therapy or in education or in business. Your ability to think outside the box is what's going to give your client and you the most flexibility to make changes. So contemplating reframing and contemplating paradox is probably one of the most important things you can do in NLP to begin to stretch your brain, to actually begin to see what kinds of things you can think of differently from the way that a client presents a presenting problem to you. Now, that's kind of fun, isn't it? So we're looking at page 67. A context reframe is best deliverable in the case of a, comparison, a comparative deletion. And in this case, you're going to think of a different context in which the person will respond differently to the same behavior. So it often comes in something like, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too happy, those kinds of things. So a comparative deletion is the best case for a context reframe. What you want to do in the case of a context reframe is you want to ask yourself, what's another context for this behavior where the meaning of the behavior will be different or where the person will respond differently to the same behavior? So one of my favorite examples, and this is from Ericsson, um, was a time when a father dragged his daughter in to see Dr. Ericsson and he brings her in and sits in the chair and he says, sit there, and he pushes her in the chair. And so the daughter sits down, and the father looks at Dr. Erickson, and he says, she's so headstrong. She's just too headstrong. She never listens to her mother, and she never listens to me. And Dr. Erickson sat there and looked at the daughter saying nothing, and looked at the father, and looked at the daughter, and looked at the father, and then looked at the father and said, well, isn't that wonderful, that when she grows up and she's on her own, she'll be able to stand on her own two feet. And the dad you know, smoke starts coming out of his ears and he goes around in his mind, then he ends up in therapy. So what I like about this is it's totally thinking outside the box. It's because the father brings the child and he thinks they're going to fix the child and actually no fixing is necessary because she wasn't broken in the first place. So what he did is he took a look at the context of her being headstrong and then he changed the context where the meaning of the behavior will be different. So when she grows up and she's on her own, and that's not a bad idea because she won't listen to people who are trying to steer her in the wrong way. In the end, the dad absolutely loves it, and that's masterful therapy, and it's a really good example of a context reframe. Now, here's another example. Let's say I was to say to you, while you're listening to this program, if I said, what kind of day is today? And you said, well, it's either a good day or a bad day. Let me tell you where the story comes from. One day I was sitting at home, it was about 30 degrees, and the sun was shining. It was slightly overcast, but it wasn't dark. And 
someone walked past and I said, what kind of day is it? And they said, it's a fabulous day. It's a wonderful day. It's magnificent. And I said, well, what would ha be happening right now if you were sat on the beach in Maui and you had this kind of day? And they said, well, it would be brilliant. And I said, and what if you'd gone skiing and you'd paid a lot of money to go skiing and it was this kind of day? And they said, oh, well, no, this would be a bad day because the snow would melt. So a good day, bad day depends on, you know, where you are in the world. The basis of context reframing is that you need to shift the context. You want to just move the context in order to change what's happening. So how could we shift the context? Well, we could shift the location, like I just did. I moved it from Hawaii right into the snow. We could also shift time and space, and we could shift time. So we could go forward in time or backwards in time. And that's what Ericsson did with the young lady who was headstrong. He shifted the time. He moved it forward into her future. Now, we could also shift the circumstances with regard to age, so we could say, well, what happens if you do this when you're 12 or 20 or 100? We could also shift the chunk size. So we could chunk up or chunk down simply by asking ourselves for what purpose or what are examples of this? If we chunked up, we could chunk up one level or two levels or three levels or four levels or five levels. And then we could chunk, chunk down just as many levels. And so that gives us some different ideas about shifting context. And... We could also shift to the intention of the behavior from a content or from a contextual point of view. We could shift to the intention of the behavior or the consequences of the behavior. Those are all different things we could begin to shift as we think about shifting and making a change actually in the context. But the easiest thing to do when you come up against a certain context in a certain behavior is you simply ask yourself, what's another context for this behavior where the meaning will be different and it will change the meaning for the client? And the client will actually put a different spin on it or put a different idea to it or have a different relationship with it. By the way, speaking of the word spin, you've heard a lot about spin doctors in political parties and things like that. And really, it's just another word for reframing. So they reframe everyone who's listening to their political point of view uh, in order to have them agree with their point of view. Okay, next is a meaning reframe. And a meaning reframe sounds like this. Whenever X happens, I respond with Y. Whenever this happens, I do this. And so in this case, what you want to do is ask yourself, what else could this behavior mean? You could think of an opposite frame or you could think of a different meaning. Or you could ask yourself, what in the world is it that this person hasn't noticed in this context? So you could call this person's attention in the same context uh, to something that would bring about a different meaning. And in that sense, it'll change the client's response. So meaning reframe is best used in the case of a cause and effect, which, you know, like she makes me feel bad or a complex equivalence, like she looked at me and that, in that way and that means X. In this case, what you're going to do is change the content. So if you want to look at a meaning reframe, what you need to ask yourself is what is an opposite frame? What's another frame that will change its meaning? If you change the content or by having the client notice something that they haven't noticed, you change the meaning of the behavior. Then you can also change the meaning itself. 
the meaning that it has to the client. And that's what we're essentially looking to do in a meaning reframe. Now here's an example of a meaning reframe specifically. I had a client come to me and he said, I have low self-esteem. And then he said, well, I'm doing okay in business, but I really, really have low self-esteem. And so we talked about it for about half an hour. And he said, so why do you think I have low self-esteem? And we said, well, why do you think you have low self-esteem? And he said, well, probably because my mum didn't love me. Because she always laid out my clothes when I was a kid and never gave me any choice about what I was to wear. And so I sat there congruently and said to him, oh, my God. And he said, what? And I said, well, my mother never laid out my clothes. And I thought she wasn't paying attention to me. So I thought she didn't care. And of course, he just sort of sat there and stared at me and suddenly realized that perhaps his mother putting his clothes out and not giving him a choice was actually something that meant that she did love him. So you've actually changed the way the client feels about the problem. That's a meaning reframe. Now, the best way to use these reframes is to ask a particular question. And that question is, how is that a problem? Because people will give you problems regularly. I'd like you to start thinking with the question, how is that a problem? If you don't understand how the problem is a problem for your client, then your intervention isn't going to be as good as if you're really clear on what makes it a problem for them. So as a NLP practitioner, whether you're doing business consulting or education or therapy, whether you're working with adults or children, if the problem that the client gives you, you don't understand how it's a problem, then it is going to be your problem. So imagine you have a problem hat, a hat that says the word problem on it, and it's their problem. And you put the problem hat on and you see how it feels and you check on whether you can see how that's a problem. And then you can use that to work out a good meaning reframe or a context reframe. So you can develop the reframes using a different context or a different meaning. And what you'll notice is as you start reading the paper or watching the news or looking at the way people speak to each other is that there's reframes everywhere and you'll start to notice them easily and effortlessly. All right, let's move on to the six-step reframe. So turn to page 68 in your workbook. Now, generally, we no longer use the six-step reframe because it's been replaced by parts integration. However, I want to talk about it a little bit for a couple of reasons. And one of those reasons is for historical purposes. And the other thing is the process itself has been useful to me. So I'd like to share it with you in the sense that I think it can change the way you think from the point of view of working with a client as well as doing a negotiation with groups. So a six-step reframe essentially asks us to communicate with part of the unconscious mind. So let's talk for a moment about parts integration and a part is a part of the unconscious mind. It's a part that's separated from the rest of the unconscious mind and it has some behavior which is being produced that the client's not happy with. You know, you've heard it said, part of me made me do that, or part of me wants to do this. That's kind of the notion of where parts comes from. 
both Fritz and Virginia Satia used parts integration quite a lot in the therapies that they did. So we don't really use the six-step reframe anymore because we do a parts integration. And the first thing I want you to do is access the behavior that's being created or access the part of the behavior. So you say, I'd like to access the part of you responsible for whatever the behavior is. If it's willing to communicate with me now with a visible body movement and then you wait for the signal. And then you say, I want to thank you for signaling me now. So the idea here is that the particular part doesn't want to communicate with you. And I think usually parts do want to communicate with you. Then you want to discover and acknowledge the benefits. So you say, part X, I want to acknowledge you for always having acted in the client's name's best interest and for having provided benefits for him or her in the past. We're here to assist the client's name in creating additional choices for her life now or his life now. And then we create some choices by saying the name. Can you take part X to that creative part of you now and have part X and the creative part come up with at least three additional choices of behavior that will provide client's name with equal or greater benefit? When you have those three additional choices, signal me with a visible body movement. Thank you. And then if you get a signal you know that that part's done. Now you can say, go inside and check for any other parts that might object to adopting these additional choices. And if so, will those parts signal with a visible body movement now? Thank you. Then you future pace and test it. So now, client's name, can you step into the near future and put yourself in a situation where you'd have reason to use these additional choices, experiencing this fully now? As I count to three, you will open your eyes knowing that you have fully integrated all of these choices. One, two, three. Now, on page 69, there's another example of a six-step reframe. And I'd like to go over that also because, again, historically, this has played a part in some of the things we're going to cover next, and I think that's kind of useful. So you may want to instruct the client, first of all, on the types of signals that could come through and the kind of communication we're setting up. And it says here, reframing can be used with any behavior, internal or external, or any symptom. So number one, we want to identify the behavior that the client wants more choices about. And again, I think in this case, you want to be sure that you know specifically in your own mind, you want to have the structure of the behavior or the presenting problem clear enough in your own mind that you can understand the structure of it. Number two. The client asks the part in charge of the behavior if it's willing to communicate and you want to get a yes or no signal here. And you want to find out what image, word or sensation the client was aware of when asking the question. You want to ask the part to increase that image or sound sensation if the answer is yes and decrease it if it's a no. And if yes, you thank the part for communicating and reassure the part that it's entirely understandable that it doesn't want to communicate on a conscious level. You reassure the part that it is in charge of behavior and action and that you're in no way trying to get rid of it, nor would you want the client or allow the client to attempt to do so. 
So step three, you ask the part what purpose or function it has. What's its positive intention? Now the part can answer consciously or unconsciously and the client will need to accept here that the part does have some positive intention. And of course, in our branch of NLP, we believe that the unconscious mind has always got a positive intention for the client. Then you want to thank the part for the positive intention and make sure the client begins to sincerely appreciate the part. Then step number four, you ask the client to go to the creative part, which is unconscious, and ask that it generate three alternatives of behavior, and so on and so forth down the page. Okay, so that is a six-step reframe, and we've included it here for historical purposes, as well as its sort of structures of thinking. I like the way the thought processes come through here. But again, we no longer use this technique because it was found to install parts, and we actually want to remove parts. So let's move on to meta model number three and page 71. So go ahead and turn to page 71. So now we're moving on to the meta model three. This is a set of detailed questions for producing a specific result. And although we don't actually go into the details of how and why this works here during our practitioner training, you need to know that it's also part of the master practitioner training. And we go into quite a lot of depth when we talk about quantum linguistics. But here's a whole other form of reframing in which we actually flip the script. That's what we call it, flipping the script. So a lot of people talk about Meta Model 3 and say that there are three Meta Models. One, of course, is the Meta Model that you know. Meta Model 2 was the Precision Model created by John Grinder and published in his book. And that was the Precision Communication. And the third process of meta model is this one. So a client comes to you with a problem and you can say to the client, what's wrong? What caused this problem? How have you failed to resolve this? And how can you overcome the solution to your problem? Then we flip it and we say, what would you like to change? When will you stop it from being a limitation? And how many ways do you know you have already solved this? And then you confirm, I know you are changing and seeing things differently. And it's kind of fun. So Metamodel 3 is directed questioning or detailed questioning for a specific result. And it's questioning that moves us in a certain direction. It's directed questioning that actually takes and moves the problem in a very specific direction. And it moves it in a certain way and then causes the problem to change or disappear. So try this out on yourself or a client and um, have someone, like, read it to someone and ask those questions and see what happens. Now let's move on to page 72. Now this is an example of an NLP model of therapy. And in the olden days in NLP, there was no real model or chart of what to do when. And so this is a really clear example of an order and sequence that you could use in an NLP consultive format, whether for business or life coaching or therapy. So generally a client walks in in a present state and you can see that on the left-hand side of the page. And they want to end up on the right-hand side in the desired state. Or they walk in on the bottom of the left-hand side with their old model of the world and they'd like to end up on the right-hand side with a new model of the world. So what do we do? 
Well, the first thing we want to do is discover their model of the world. And you'll use the meta model and take a detailed personal history. And we know how to do that because that's part of the timeline therapy training. That's actually part of the master practitioner timeline therapy training. We get what we need and then we establish rapport. And obviously we want to set some outcomes and you've got a whole lot of stuff on outcome definition, which is useful. And then you'd probably want to get meta programs and values. Again, that's master practitioner level material, but you'll certainly want to look at the client's presuppositions. What presuppositions are inherent in what they're saying to you? You'll want to go through the keys to an achievable outcome with the client. And you'll probably want to make sure that the client's outcome is well formed that it conforms as an outcome to what the client wants. You'll probably want to elicit some of the client's strategies depending on the presenting problem and you may elicit the decision-making strategy, the reassurance strategy or the motivation strategy. Now the purpose of this first section is to establish rapport and spend enough time asking the client questions so that we can determine the model of the world. Now you see here, step number two is to loosen the model of the world. And I'm not going to jump there just yet, but I want to point out to you that the model of the world typically should be discovered, it seems to me, before you loosen it up. Right, so we're going to discover the model of the world and then we're going to loosen up. So the way that we loosen things up is we use things like Milton model, the meta model three, language patterns, logical levels of therapy, metaphors, and the meta model. So you start by asking, or the client usually tells you the problem, and the question you ask is, what would you like to have instead? And as the client goes through and tells you what you'd like, they'd like to have instead, you need to calibrate that on with um, your sensory acuity so that you actually can see their physiology and you know that that's exactly what they want. So in step number two, remember we're loosening up the grip. So we use Milton model, meta model, language patterns, all of the things I said before. Then what happens is we move to step number three. And in step number three, we're going to do anchoring, reframing, some modalities work, timeline therapy, and maybe some values work. That's from the master prac training. And maybe some hypnosis, which you'll get during our practitioner training. And we may work on some strategies. We may do an intervention and we might do a parts integration, which we'll talk about shortly. So all of that would be the change work, whatever needed to be done there in the change work section. That's what we do. Now, assuming we looked at the client and we had the present state, assuming that we had the client's desired state in mind and we talked to the client, we calibrated it, then the purpose of the change work and loosening the model of the world in the second section is to move the client towards that desired state. So we can actually see the shifts in the client's physiology as we move the client in that direction. Okay, so now we should almost be at the desired state. You've moved the client from the present state to almost the desired state. And all we're going to do, do now is clean up. So we're going to check on ecology, look to see if there's anything more that we need to do with the parts integration and check if there's any alignment or embodiment that's required. So I want you to write under number four, I want you to write embodiment because it's an important practice. And when people are embodied, they tend to do things and stay in the desired state more often and for a longer period of time. Now, remember, ecology is the study of consequences. So we're going to check that the consequences are all done. 
And now assuming we've done step number four, we move to step number five, which is to future pace, which includes testing the new behaviors and making sure that the convincer is filled up. So we really need to test and future pace to make sure that the client is very much in the new model of the world, in the desired state and ready to move forward. Now the convincers are important and you need to fill up the convincers. So if they have a one-time convincer or two-time, you just keep testing. And as you'll see during the timeline therapy training session, we'll actually test until the client convinces us. So when the client tells us they're done, they're simply convincing us that they're done. We're not convincing them. So the key is that the client tells us that their, their convincers are filled up. And this results in long-lasting change, whether it's therapy or business consulting or education. This is what makes NLP really powerful. Okay, so we've taken a look at reframing and we've taken a look at meaning and context reframing, the six-step reframe and the NLP model of therapy. And now it's time to simply move on and start talking about parts integration, which we're going to do in the next segment. We'll see you there.